Who's going? Who's going to be there this weekend, eh? Who we got going, huh? Listen, man, I am excited. I'm excited to be with you guys this weekend at Spring Breakaway. And we're just going to go ahead and kick things off tonight. Is that cool? Listen, I want to know if you guys are ready to receive a word from God tonight. I love to just open up God's word and dive into it and see what he has for us. I love just chewing on God's word because I think that God's word brings life. It brings nourishment. It brings nutrition to us. So tonight, we're going to be preaching straight out of God's word. I've got a lot of scripture for you guys tonight. Are you okay with that? I've got a lot of scripture for you guys all weekend, actually. But hey, tonight, what I want to deal with is, uh, is this passage of scripture right here. It says this. It says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, yo, I have, he didn't say yo, but I just think he did, right? Like I have done all of these things. I followed all of these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard this answer, he said, there is still one thing. Turn to somebody and say, still one thing. There is still one thing you haven't done. You need to sell all of your possessions and you need to give the money to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and then you can follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus, we're just going to come before you one more time. Mm, just reveal yourself to us tonight. Help us to think of our priorities. God, we don't want you to be a part of our life. We want you to be the point of our life. Jesus, we need you. I need you in this place, God. I need you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, title of my message tonight is, Who's the Boss? Who's the Boss? Or maybe if you want to like write a little subtitle underneath of it, you can say, Who's the God of your life this month? Right? Maybe big G, maybe little G. Your boss or your God is the person in your life that you are most focused on pleasing, students. Right? I, I would tell you this, that we live every day of our lives either invisibly motivated by the fear of God or the fear of man. Did you hear that? Psalm 111.10 says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of all... Anybody? Wisdom. Yes. Or I say with authority. Proverbs 29, 25, though, says this, that the fear of man will prove to be a trap and a snare. The fear of man will prove to be a trap and a snare. Hey, listen, do you guys know what makes traps? Do you guys know what makes snares so effective? I think the first thing that makes them so effective is this, is that they're placed in your path, right? 
Like, I know that's super obvious. Of course this is true. Because if, like, you set a trap for somebody in a place that they never go, uh, you're an idiot, right? Like, if you're setting a trap for somebody in a place that they never, ever step on or a place that they would never even go to, then your, your trap is never going to work. The reason that traps are so effective is because they're placed in places that you will wander to. They are placed on the path. Listen, the fear of man is a trap and a snare, and it is going to confront you everywhere that you go in life. It's a trap that will be laid on the paths of your life. You guys will always be feeling this tension. You will always be feeling this temptation. You will always be feeling this pressure wherever you go. If you know what I'm talking about, can you just raise your hand in this place? Right? I feel that trap. I feel that tension. I'm always trying to please people. I always want to be approved of. I have an approval addiction sometimes. I care deeply about what people think of me at my school, at my home, online, at my job. This trap will always be placed on the trail from who you are now to who God is trying to get you to become. There's always going to be that snare there. The devil is always going to be trying to get you to be approved of by somebody or something other than God. He's trying to pull you off of that path. He's trying to get you to diverge. Second, traps are effective because they're baited. They're baited, right? There is going to be something in the trap that is appealing to you. Like there's a trap. If there's a trap, then there's a trapper, right? And, and, and he's not stupid, right? Like Satan isn't like Elmer Fudd walking around the forest trying to shoot some wabbits, man. Like Satan is cunning. Satan is deceitful. Satan is wicked. And he is manipulative. And he knows your pressure points. He knows your weak points. That's why every day we need to be dressing ourselves up in our spiritual armor. We need to be going to the Lord in prayer. We need to realize that there is spiritual warfare taking place, not only for the lives of the people in our community, but for our very minds and hearts and souls and affections and attention as well. Listen, students, if you are not getting up in the morning with Jesus and spending some time in your word and spending some time in prayer, you are walking directly into the trap unprepared. You are going to allow yourselves to be tempted and baited by things of the world because you never focused on the eternal things of God to start off your day. Traps are effective because they're baited. The Bible even warns us that Satan is beautiful. Like, I know all the movies and I know all the imagery that we get of Satan, right? Like, he's like some hellboy-looking ugly freak. You know what I'm saying? He's got like the red pointy tail and the, and the horns and like he's breathing fire and he just looks all ugly and mutilated and disgusting and demonic, right? Like we get pictures of the demonic. We get pictures of things that are satanic and we, we see this imagery that's in the media today and we're just like, look, if Satan looked like that, there's no way I'm going to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me just ask you a question. If Satan, like the ugly version of Satan appeared and asked you to follow him to go and do something, you're not going after that. You're probably peeing your pants is what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? Like if a devil just popped up in front of you, like all satanic and fire breathing with wings and stuff like that, y'all are pooping your pants right there on the trail. You're not following after it. I'm certainly not. I'm running in the opposite direction. But the Bible warns us that Satan appears as an angel of light. It says this in 2 Corinthians 11:14. 14. 
Satan doesn't scare people into traps. He seduces them into traps. He presents himself as beautiful. He presents himself as something that you want. This is why Satan is more than willing to shower you with good things or, you know, the blessed life. As long as they take God's place. Satan is more than willing to allow you to have good things. As long as it takes God's place. This is what makes the traps effective. Listen. He attempted it with Jesus. He attempted it with Jesus when he was going to wander in the desert. What makes you think that he would not try to attempt it with you? What makes you think that he would not try to do this very same thing on you, to pull you away from who you are supposed to be, to pull you away from your calling, just like he was able to do with the rich young ruler, right? Like Jesus has gone into the desert to fast and to pray, and Satan walks up on him and says, hey, here's this stone. I know you've been fasting for 40 days. Why don't you just go ahead and get that bread? Why don't you just go ahead and, and, and turn this thing into a piece of bread so that you can eat it and then you can satisfy yourself and you can not be hungry anymore. Like, listen, that seems like a good thing. It seems like it's innocent enough. Jesus, you're hungry. Make some bread. But the manipulative thing in that is that Satan was trying to get Jesus to exchange a moment for his mission. And listen, that is what he is doing with you every single day with the fear of man, with the, with the wanting to acquire stuff. He's trying to get you guys to move off of who God is trying to get you to become. He has placed things on your path every single day that he's trying to lure you away from that life that you're supposed to have in Jesus Christ. This is why in an honest moment, I think it would allow most of us to say that sometimes we're into pleasing man more than we're into pleasing God. Can I give you guys just some like warning signs that maybe you're getting baited? Maybe you're being pulled off the path a little bit. Here's some warning signs, and we're going to throw these up on the screen if you can read them. The first thing is this, is you have a mental focus on trying to make people like you. You have almost like this preoccupation with it. You, you live to make people like you. You just want people to like you wherever you go. And because of that, you are willing to sacrifice your calling and your convictions in order to be comfortable in a crowd. You ever get that? You ever feel that pressure like when you walk in the hallways of your school to act like people, to talk like people, to dress like people? I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but if you have a focus on it at the expense of who God has called you to be, chances are you might be getting baited. I would tell you that the next thing is this. You have a preoccupation with your appearance or other man-made status symbols. A car, a job, possessions, rank, dates, sports, even ministry titles. And here's the deal. I'm going to say this again. In fact, I'm probably going to be saying this on repeat tonight. These are good things. Listen, there is nothing wrong with trying to look nice. There is nothing wrong with status symbols like a car or having a job. Please get a job, right? Like there's nothing wrong with 
getting a nice rank or getting a nice ministry title. There is nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with academics. Listen, there is absolutely nothing wrong with any of those things, but they cannot be the priority. Why? Because they make really terrible gods. All of those things make really, really terrible gods. Do you hear that, student? And sometimes we can have a preoccupation with those things. Why? Because maybe we have a fear of man more than we have a fear of God. Can I just tell you that Satan doesn't mind you claiming a relationship with God as long as it's not the priority. Satan has no problem with you claiming your Christianity and claiming a relationship with God as long as it's not the priority. Uh, because listen, here's what you need to know. Everything serves the priority. Everything in your life serves what you make preeminent. Everything in your life serves what you have made the priority in your life. So here's the deal. If comfort has become your priority, if the fear of man has become your priority, then you will serve God until it becomes uncomfortable. Because your comfort isn't in service to God. God now in your life has become uh, in service to your comfort. And that's the trap. That's the snare, isn't it? The next thing that I would say that you might be getting baited is this, is that you have like a chameleon-like personality. A chameleon is a type of lizard that has the ability to camouflage and blend in to its surroundings so it can avoid attack. And I think sometimes we can do this as well. We try to blend into our surroundings. We kind of blend in with the people and with the environment. And listen, I will tell you this. God never wanted you to blend in. He never created you to blend in. Jesus Christ created you guys to stand out. You are not to be products of the culture. You are to be creators of the culture. Why? Because you are made in the image of our creator God. And if you are sons and daughters of the creator God, then here you are as little creators that are in this place too. So when you go to your schools, you are not supposed to be coming up product of the culture. You are not supposed to be a, ther a thermometer. You're supposed to be the thermostats. You're supposed to be setting the temperature, not influenced by the environment around you. Students, I'm sorry, are you awake in this place tonight? Because I am telling you that you can have purpose. You can have destiny. You can shake things up. You can change things up in your schools, in your families. If you would just make God the priority. If you would just say, Jesus, I am sold out and I want to follow after you. I don't care if I'm standing out. I don't care if I'm the only one in my school that is serving you, God. I'm going to make a stand for you because I am more concerned with my eternal status than I am with my temporary withholdings. And I just wonder if there's any students that are even in our district right now that are going to say, God, I'm passionate for you and for you alone, and I'm sick of looking like everybody else because nobody has ever changed the world by looking just like it. Hmm. Another indicator that you might be getting baited is that you have a gnawing hurt upset or anger when you hear of somebody's negative words or disapproving feelings towards you. Well, I get it. Listen, I'll tell you right now that that affects me sometimes. Man, I hate hearing when people don't like something that I said or something that I did or a decision that I didn't make. I hate when people talk behind my back. I hate when people talk to my face sometimes when they're even giving me constructive criticism. 
but the idea that we can base our value and worth based on what somebody else thinks of us means that maybe we have a fear of man instead of having a fear of God. Can I just free you from that tonight? Value and worth is not something that you have to earn. Value and worth is something that you've already been given through the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died for you, when God sent his son down on the earth, he literally put that price tag on you. He said, my son, that's how much you're worth. How much you, you're, you're worth me. And I will step down off of my throne from heaven and I will assign your value and worth. It is not something that you earn. It is not something that you even deserve. But I promise you, the, every single time you let somebody else put a price tag on you, you are devaluing what Jesus Christ already put on you. Students, <laughs> your value and worth comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't come from the opinions of other people. Listen, if it's good stuff, if it's, if it's like Pastor Joey, if it's P. Joey confronting you and calling you out because you might have some hidden sin or something like that, then yes, that's good. You need that. But if it's some fool like backbiting you or, or like subtweeting you or talking nasty about you on, on, on some social media platform, listen, be gone with it. Move on from it. They do not get to control you. They do not get to control your emotions. They do not get to assign your value and worth. Jesus Christ has already done that. And here's what I would tell you. As long as you are preoccupied, as long as you are moving towards these traps, as long as you are preoccupied with this stuff, Christ can only be a part of your life when the entire time he should be the point of your life. I don't think it's a coincidence that as you go down this list of, of, of traps or baits, you, you can actually draw some very strong comparisons to the rich young ruler that we were just reading about. Like on the surface, this guy is awesome. On paper, I want this guy like on my board. Like this dude is like he's got money, so I bet he's a great tither. This guy, like, has power and prestige, so, like, he can get us in with the alderman if we ever have a building project, right? Like, this guy has got, like, all kinds of, like, he's following the commandments. I bet his kids are, like, behaved. He probably wears, like, really nice robes, that Gucci stuff, you know? This guy is great on paper. His life is full of good things. He even follows all of the commandments, but it doesn't take long for Jesus to point out that he's missing the most important thing. This rich, young ruler didn't really fear God. He had a fear of man. And as a result, what does he do? He walks away from Jesus, heartbroken. He walks away from the one who is the point of it all. And I know what some of you might be thinking. You're like, bro, how can you say that this guy is missing the point when he is literally following all the commandments? I'll tell you why. It's because this brother was about his status. This guy was about his image. This guy was all about how he looked to the people on the right and to the left of him. He was a rich, young ruler. And in that culture, following all of the commandments back then... It got you respect. It got you status. It's not like today where, like, if you're following all of the commandments, you're some kind of a weirdo walking down the streets. No, back then, that's what made you like, you know, what's up, man? I follow all the commandments. What you got on me? Nothing. Oh, that's what I thought, right? Like, 
Like this guy had all kinds of status. He had all kinds of swagger. Listen, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Following the commandments was easy for the rich young ruler because it served him. Okay. This is why when Jesus asked him to sell everything and give it all to the poor, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Because listen, Jesus wasn't just asking this brother to sell his stuff. Jesus was asking this brother to sell his status. He wasn't asking this guy just to sell his stuff and give it to the poor. He was telling this brother, hey, I don't want you to just sell all your stuff, but you are going to have to follow me. And following me means walking away from all that. It means walking away from the popularity. It means walking away from the image. And it means walking away from that little pretty kingdom that you built for yourself, brick by brick, commandment by commandment. And I think sometimes we do this in the church too because we can act like a whole bunch of Christian chameleons. Heck yeah, we'll show up in a a little spiritual greenhouse and a little spiritual bubble-like excel. And we'll raise our hands in worship and we'll cry out to God. Why? Because everybody else is doing it. I'll serve you, God. I'll raise my hands as long as it serves my image. As long as it serves my status. And this is what the rich young ruler got caught up in. And Jesus knew it. And he was able to get straight to the heart of it. And he's like, nah, sell all of that stuff. Walk away from that life. Walk away from that life. Because listen, you are not here for the blessings of God. You are here for God. Well, we're going to get into it now. Okay, listen, here's the deal. He wanted all the benefits of following Jesus without actually following Jesus. Sell everything. Sell everything. Walk away from it all. In verse 23, one of the most heartbreaking verses in all of Scripture, hopefully not repeating in our lives, but when the man heard this, he became very sad. Why? Because he was very rich. He was wealthy. He'd acquired so much stuff that this world had to offer students. And this is what I want to warn you. It's like, listen, the more you're attached to this world, the more you acquire in this world, the more you have built up your kingdom, the harder it becomes to move away from it and follow God's kingdom. This is why God says in the very following verses, oh man, how hard is it for people who have acquired so much and have attached themselves to this world so much to even get into heaven. It's harder for them to get into heaven than it is for a a camel to get into an eye of a needle. And Jesus is making almost a play on words. He's making a joke here the eye of the needle was actually a gate that led into the city and camels that were too fat couldn't fit through it you had to be a skinny camel that belonged to a poor guy couldn't hardly feed himself I ain't feeding my camel my camel can fit through the eye of the needle because he's like some like really skinny camel right Like you probably hear Sarah McLaughlin singing in the arms of the angel with a picture of my camel up on the television. Please feed my camel. It'll fit through the, but the wordplay that Jesus is trying to make here is listen, only camels that don't have much can fit through. And to the rich young ruler, he's saying, if you give it away, if you give it away, if you give your status away, then you can follow me. I'm camping on this too long. I want to move along. This is why A.W. Tozer said this. The more you fear man, the less you fear God. And the more you fear God, the, the less you fear man. The more you fear God, the less I fear man? Well, how do I get a fear of God? You spend time in his word. You pursue him students and like have we set the bar too low for you 
I was talking to a, a senior pastor. Just this last week, this guy calls me up, and he's from central Illinois. He's an Assemblies of God senior pastor, and he calls me up, and he's like, Pastor Chris, I just got to ask you something. Am I expecting too little of this generation? I mean, Chris, we had an unbelievable service, and, and people were in the altars, and, and the adults were crying out to God, and, and the Spirit of God was moving. And I look, and I look in the youth section, and they're all just sitting there on, on their seats, and they're all just looking at their phones, and they're all flirting with each other, and they're messing with each other. Am I expecting too little of this generation? And I said, Pastor, absolutely not. This is going to be a generation that is going to change the world. You call them out for that. You call them out to greatness. Students, listen, I want to call you out to greatness tonight. I am not expecting too little of your generation. I believe that revival is going to break out in Illinois, but Jesus says, first you got to separate the wheat from the chaff. This isn't even the only man who turned away from following Jesus when the cost was too high. There is this incredible, we always just pick on the rich young ruler, but like, listen, there is this incredible section of scripture in Luke 9 where Jesus, in short order, sees three dudes walk away from following him. Like, like in the span of like six verses. Can you imagine? Listen to this. I'm going to read it to you. It's in Luke 9, starting at 57. I don't think I have it up here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to them. It says this, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. He said to another person, hey, you, come and follow me. The man agreed. He agreed. But he said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, but first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Like, you don't preach these Verses on Sunday morning if you're trying to be one of the fastest growing churches in America. Like Jesus was just cold-blooded here. Like Michael in the finals. Not like LeBron who can't hit a shot to save his life in the finals. Like Michael in the finals. Jesus was just cold-blooded. Three opportunities to follow Jesus and three men walk away for different reasons. And moving into spring breakaway, listen, I just want to draw three quick points and I want to ask you three quick questions, Excel, because I want to prime our hearts for what God is going to do this weekend. Number one, the first guy is eager. Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go. Yes, Lord, it's like camp. I'll follow you anywhere you go, Jesus. Now listen, Jesus' reply, and, and you have to understand that Jesus has the ability to cut straight to the heart. He can read minds and he can see hearts. Why? Because he's God. And like he can do that. Some of my favorite parts of scripture are when like Jesus answers people's thoughts. I think that's just the best. Like when people are thinking something and then Jesus is like, well actually, I would freak out. I would flip my biscuit if that happened. Right? Jesus' response to this guy, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go. And Jesus says, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. We find out in Matthew 8, which is a cross-reference to this scripture, that this guy is actually a religious leader. 
we find Jesus' warning in Mark 12, 38 through 40. Yeah, he warns about guys like these because the pattern in that day was that you would attach yourself to a rabbi. You would attach yourself to a religious leader. Why? To promote your status and to promote your career and to build your kingdom. And so what this guy is saying is, Jesus, yeah, I'll follow you. Why? Because he's going to make me look great. It's going to add to my swagger. It's going to add to my resume. I'm going to follow this rabbi who's walking around healing lepers and, and, and like, setting, like turning water into wine. I want to be a part of that party, right? Like this guy wants to follow Jesus because it will add to, to him. And Jesus sees this in him and he calls it out. And he says, listen, uh, here you have a guy that wants to follow Jesus. Listen to this as a means to an end. He wants to follow Jesus as a means to an end. And, and, and this is a different picture of like Jewish culture. Like we are here, like in today's culture, we are not trying to like attach ourselves to Jesus to become greater teachers or climb a social or religious ladder. But how often have we talked about this in, in churches, in even our youth group, as Jesus to a means, of, to an end? I feel like it is a false gospel that we are selling today. Come to Jesus so you can get forgiveness, and come to Jesus so you can get your best life, and, and come to Jesus so you can get to heaven. Those are all good things, but they are not the point. Listen, students, you come to Jesus to get to God. You come to Jesus to get to God. He is worthy. He is preeminent. He is the reason. Like tonight we, we, we sang a song, show me your glory. Do you mean that? I'm thinking about Exodus 33, 15 right here, right off the top of my head. Jesus just dropped that scripture in my heart. Moses said, God, I will not go anywhere if your presence does not follow me. Please just show me a little bit of your glory. And God says, okay, I'm going to do it, but first I'm going to hide you in this mountain. And then I'm going to cover you with my hand because if you see me coming, it will kill you. It'll kill you. Every time in scripture, on repeat, whenever somebody even has an encounter with a messenger of the Lord, they fall on their face like a dead man. When Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord and is brought in, even on a vision, to see the temple of the Lord, he falls on his face like a dead man. And Isaiah is a prophet, so he speaks prophecies of woe and blessing, woe and blessing. And before Isaiah ever speaks a prophecy against Israel, his first prophecy is actually to himself. He says, woe is me, for I have come undone. And that word undone in the scripture means I have become mentally unraveled. You have pulled me apart, God, because I am beholding your glory. Because what? I am a man of unclean lips and I am surrounded by people who have unclean lips. Jesus is the point. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is the one we worship. Jesus is priority. Jesus is not a part of our life. He is the point of our lives. So here you have this guy that wants to follow Jesus as a means to an end. Are we doing the same thing? Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus' response is fine, but I'm all you get. Is that enough? I'm all you get. Students, if Jesus is, if you get to heaven one day and you find out that it's only Jesus, is that enough? Yeah. 
answer is yes. And the more you read your word, the more you will figure that out. Number two, I, I, I'm, I'm, let me, so the first question, actually, we're still on number one. The first question that I have for you tonight is, are you going to choose comfort or are you going to choose a cross? Because that's where Jesus is going. And he's worth it. Number two, you have the next guy. Jesus is the one who actually initiates the conversation with him. He said to another person, come and follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and, and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Like, listen, here's what you need to know is my own father died uh, a couple years ago, and his birthday was actually yesterday. And I remember burying my father. I remember getting all of the funeral arrangements to me, for him. And when I read this scripture, I'm like, Jesus, that seems so cold. But here's what you need to understand, students, is that he's God and God is love. And Jesus is making a very profound point here. This man wanted to either go and bury his father or he wanted to spend the last moments of his father's life with him. Scholars debate him, but it doesn't really matter for the point that Jesus was trying to make. The thing that's important to understand is that this man is honoring one of the highest religious obligations he would have had as a practicing Jew in that day. And that was to honor his father at the end of his life. It was a massively important Jewish Law. Understanding this makes Jesus' point so powerful because what he is saying in this moment is that following Jesus and preaching his kingdom is more important than our religious traditions and our obligations. So the second question is this Will you choose maintenance or mission? This is the temptation to go into maintenance mode when we get saved as though we have arrived and Jesus has stopped making demands. Right? But Jesus in his word actually commands us to preach his kingdom. He even goes as far as to insinuate that there is a type of spiritual death that occurs when we are more concerned about religious practice and tradition than we are about mission. He says, let the spiritually dead bury their own. The spiritually dead are the ones who are more concerned about tradition than they are about Jesus. The spiritually dead are the ones who are more concerned about spiritual, like, like this obligation that they have to the law than they are about Jesus Christ. So this, again, are we going to choose to maintain or be on mission? And we see this. It's like you guys are living the same life of your Christianity over and over and over again. It's like you go to camp, you repent, then you return to the old you. You go to youth, you repent, you return to the old you. You, you mess up, you go to spring breakaway, you repent, return, repent, repent, return, repent, repeat, return, repent, repeat, return. Repent, repeat, and it's like you keep going in circles. And the reason that you keep going in circles is because half the time you're heading in the right direction. Half the time you're walking in a circle, you're going the right way. So it seems like you're making progress or at least you're under the illusion that you are. And how many of us actually miss following Jesus because he's leading us in a straight line 
for the will in, in our lives, but we are walking around in circles in, in, in maintenance mode. Well, if I just keep showing up to youth, and if I just keep showing up to youth, and if I just keep showing up to the programs, and if I just keep showing up to church, and I don't really make any progress on the outside world, then I guess I'm doing just enough to say, you know, barely saved. What? Third guy. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first... Let me say goodbye to my family. Let me say goodbye to my family, Jesus. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Whoa. You kidding me? Dude just wanted to go say goodbye to his family before following you. And Jesus is making another incredibly profound point here. And here's the question. Will we choose indecisive minds or undivided hearts? Will we choose indecisive minds or undivided hearts? I think we can read this verse and, and think Jesus is just being a little harsh and completely miss the fact that this guy said, I'll follow you, but first. <laughs> we, I don't think Jesus is being harsh when you read the words, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first. And you wonder why Jesus says anybody who puts his hand to the plow but looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus, I'll follow you, uh, but first you got to show me that you're... Jesus, I'll follow you, but first you got to heal me. Jesus, I'll follow you, but first you got to provide this in my life. Jesus, I'll follow you, but like first you need to do this for me. And listen, here's the deal. That was the issue. Jesus demands our obedience. When Jesus tells us to obey, at least in my personal experience, I find myself asking questions. Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, is it safe? Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, is it wise? Jesus, I know you're telling me to tell that person about Jesus, but first, that person? Really? Like, Jesus, I'll follow you, but is it time? Jesus, I'll follow you, but what will this person think? Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, what will this person say? Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, how will this look in the culture that we're in today? You know, Jesus, I think sometimes being on the offensive with my Christianity can actually be a little bit offensive. And, you know, I don't want to trigger anybody. Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, will I be offensive? Will people, like, hate me? For following you, Jesus is like, yeah, like I said that. Like in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The reality is if the king has said it, the follower does it. If the king has said it, the follower does it, period. Jesus is God. The thing that haunts me about these verses, students, like the implication of Luke 9:57 through 62 is that these guys didn't follow Jesus. Worship team, can you come up and prepare? And as the worship team comes back up, I'm going to challenge you to really consider what it means to follow Christ, what it really means to spread the gospel, what it means to preach the kingdom. Luke 14.33 says this, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. Let me read that again for everybody in the back. 
Luke 14, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. You know, it's funny when I think, like, what's expected of us as American Christians? Not much. Like, the bar is pretty low, actually. Like, like, the Americanized version of Christianity has just become kind of a joke. Like, we show up to church, and, like, we, we sit in our comfortable seats, and we listen to the Word, and we critique the Word, right? Oh, that pastor was really good, or that pastor wasn't that great. I didn't like his, his analogies very much. Or, you know, and then we go out, oh, the worship was too loud. They didn't sing the songs that I liked. But like on other parts of the world, like if you were to go to the underground church in China, I saw a video where there was this box of Bibles delivered to these people who are in the underground church in China. And they opened up this box and they started pulling these Bibles out and they started weeping. Because they were holding the very word of God in their hands. They were bowing their heads in respect and touching their foreheads to, to these Bibles that were translated in, into Mandarin Chinese. So that they actually, for the very first times in their lives, held the very word of God in their hands. And we're going to be talking about this a little bit. But in Isaiah 66, it says, God is calling for people who would humble themselves who would have contrite spirits, which means they have remorse over sin in their life, and who tremble at the word of God. And Isaiah 66 goes on to say, I'm looking, and, and nobody, nobody's out there. Where are the people who are humble, who know that they need me? Who are the people who are contrite, who are remorseful over the sin that is going to put my son on the cross? Where are the people who tremble at my word? You see, in American Christianity, there's not much that's expected of us, but what's expected of us as Christ followers in Luke 9 and Luke 14? Everything. So all over this place, I'm going to have you stand up. Go ahead, front to back, stand up in this place. Come on, stretch your legs out. And I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes in this place and I want you to start praying to God. Use your own words, lift your voices if you need to. And just start saying, God, I want to give you everything. Start revealing things in my heart and in my life that are with that are, that are keeping me from serving you, Father God. Like, Jesus, if I was there in the time that, uh, of Luke 9, if I were one of those three guys, would, would I follow you? Would I have followed you, God? Are you just a means to an end? Because, Jesus, I don't want you to be a means to an end. I just want you. Jesus, am I, am I putting, like, my religious obligation, like, in, in my status in front of you? Because, God... I want to preach your kingdom. This cannot be enough. God, give me undivided hearts. Give me a missional heart, Father God. Help me to follow you all the way to the cross. God, may I die to myself because unless something dies and falls to the ground, it cannot bear fruit. Father God, I want us to die to ourselves in this place. I want these students to start bearing fruit. I want to see this youth ministry grow, Father God, not so that the kingdom of Excel can grow, but Father, so the kingdom of God can grow. There are people that are in our schools that 
that need us to be true followers of Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. Like we're not counting the cost because God, you have already paid the cost. In your word it says, what can man do to me? I am a follower of Jesus Christ. God, you have given us our value. You have given us our worth. Come on students, lift your voice. Worship team, pick a song. Start worshiping God in this place tonight. God, I pray right now that you would just move in power in these students. Here's what we're going to do. As the worship team starts to play, I want you to make an altar out of this place. And here's what happens at altars. Sacrifice. And God says to us through Paul in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 that we are to become living sacrifices. We are not to conform any ways to the patterns of this world, but in all things we are supposed to conform ourselves to Jesus Christ, laying ourselves down as living sacrifices. That is our spiritual act of worship unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, I am yours. You can use me for whatever you want. Students, start making your way up right now. If you want to give God everything in this place, I want you to start coming up right now. Who cares about the comfort? Who cares if you're the first person to do it. If you're nervous in this place, if you're nervous before man, listen, come on. Jesus, we love you in this place. Jesus, we love you in this place. If you want to give God everything, move forward. Move forward right now. Let's start worshiping God in this place. Worship team, go ahead. Leaders, you can come up and start praying for students and praying over students right now. Students across this altar right now, just start saying, God, I give you everything. God, I give you everything. I give you everything, God. Amen. You know, I love what Pastor Chris was saying earlier and how this isn't about what God can do for you. But it's about being able to get to God. And I'm so grateful for what God is doing in this moment. But you know, sometimes the best meals take a little longer to simmer. Sometimes... You got to give it time to, to set in and to marinate and to really get the depth of everything that you want out of it. And this is why we say that tonight is the beginning of breakaway. Because this is the moment where we start to crack those things that are holding us back and saying, listen, I, I don't want to wait until I get into some campground to be hungry for the presence of God. I like that we're going to have to close out right now because I think it's better to want a little more than to leave feeling like you're satisfied. Because I'm watching you pray and I can see, man, they're hungry and there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to stop this. And yet God's like, no, no, always leave them wanting more. <laughs> because if we don't, we don't come back to the table. And so I don't know about you guys, but I am excited about what God is going to do tomorrow. And I just want to say this, if there is anyone in this room who for whatever reason hasn't signed up yet to come this weekend, I want you to know if you, if you bring your form, you can grab one after service, you can have it signed tonight, you can show up literally tomorrow before we get on that bus. As long as I know your parents signed it and everything's filled out, we can take care of the money, we can do all the rest. I want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to experience the fullness of what God is trying to do in this weekend. And so hear my heart. If you, or man, if you bring your friend, you're like, Pastor Joy, they really want to come and y'all, they might be tied up and gouged, like, mm -hmm. like, it's fine. I won't pretend like you didn't just kidnap them, but, man, we really want to give everyone an opportunity to experience the things that God has done in their lives. So I want to challenge you with that, and I just want to remind you, God still has so much more that he's trying to do. So let's make sure that we show up with a willing heart 
and a hungry appetite. Amen? So I'm going to pray for you real quick, and then I'm going to give you a couple instructions, and we're going to dismiss. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this appetizer. God, we thank you for, for what you did tonight. I thank you for my friend, Pastor Chris, and, and his family for being with us tonight. God, I thank you for the leadership, Lord, that has taken time out of their weekend uh, to lead the way. I thank you for these students, God, that have made it possible to be able to go and experience what you have for them. But, God, if you're not there, then it's pointless. If you're not in the room, then we don't want to be there either. So, God, we thank you that you are willing to meet with us, that you are willing to reach us, that you are willing to speak to us, God. So, Lord, we give give you permission tonight and the rest of this weekend to speak into our hearts, to touch the areas that we've tried to hold back from you, to call out the things that we've tried to hide, to call us out of the places of comfort and into the places you want us to be. Lord, we give you permission to do what only you can do in our lives. And God, we thank you in advance, not just for the memories, not just for the fun, not just for the fellowship, but for the transformative power of your Holy Spirit through this week. So, God, we thank you for every part of it, Lord, and we pray that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, one last thing, guys. I just want to remind you, we're going to feed you when we get there. So we need you, as soon as you get out of school, to have all your stuff ready and get here as soon as possible. So 4.30, we're going to be leaving, so we need everybody here. And there's always, like, that one person that's calling a leader, like, I'm on my way. Don't be that one person, Okay. Show up on time because that way we can just take off. And honestly, if it's just one person, I can't wait for you. So we need to make sure that we go. Amen? So get here, 4.30. We'll get ready to leave. If anybody wants to go to Breakaway still and you haven't, talk to me afterward. Go to the front desk. God bless you. We will see you tomorrow.